morning, people. How y'all doing? Good. So I am uh, here today. It is Trans Day of Remembrance. And if you don't know what that's about, um, that is about the people that have been killed that happen to be transgender. And typically in our community, we hold vigils and we talk about the people that were killed throughout the year. And we, tr we talk about them because they are people who are worthy of human rights. And when they're being killed because they are trans, they are not receiving human rights. And until they are allowed to live their lives in a way that makes sense to them, they are not receiving human rights. So I'd urge you to think about trans people as human beings above all else. Secondly, there was a shooting, a mass shooting at a gay cub that I woke up to this morning to find out that there were five people killed inside of a gay club that I have been at, that I've taken my, my family to, that I've take, been there with my friends. And the question that I have for you is, when are gay people okay to have human rights? When do we deserve safety? When we try to create safe places and safe spaces for us, you come and you kill us. Stop killing us. So with that being said, today's topic is going to be about our trip to D.C. So I invited Lori and Jessica to come and talk about this. They were present with me in D.C. Um, would you like to say good morning, Jessica, and introduce yourself? Hi, good morning. My name is Jess. I was Mennonite and then joined Charity later. Oh, Lord. Yes. <laughs> Mennonite and then Charity. Well, that's a transition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 10 out of 10 would not recommend. <laughs> you do not recommend? No? Yeah. Oh, do tell. Why do you not recommend? Uh, so many reasons. In one sentence. <laughs> Abusive, oppressive, and still affecting my life. Those are good enough reasons. That sounds like some very good reasons not to recommend. Okay, well, thank you for that. And we welcome back Lori. Would you like to say good morning? Good morning. I love your mug. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is awesome. Love that. You can get your own on like the Misfit Amish um, link to Redbubble shop. Yes. You have a merch link? Yes. It's on the website. Yes. I will be checking it out. Yeah. You can get all kinds of things. Like, um, here, I got something for you. We're having a merch, a little um, commercial merch uh, shout out. Uh, yeah. So, so like, here, I, I have a notepad. And then I have another notepad that says, Kino can a net yaso of a sex other in a course, see this in it, bosses mint. Does that have a covering at the bottom? Yes. This one says the same thing, but it's a different um, graphic designed. Mm -hmm. All of these were designed by BJ. Mm -hmm. 
Um, BJ is an artist that has designed many things for the Misfit Amish, including our logo, by the way. Um, this is just the Misfit Amish because we're misfits. We work great. So I use a lot of notebooks. I take a lot of notes. So notebooks are very helpful for me. Um, Freya is currently wearing a necktie. You can get neckties for your dogs. <laughs> Freya, the most Amish supportive um, dog, ESA dog. Ever. Yes, yes. Freya's amazing. So anyway, so uh, in October, like we went to DC, today's topic, right? Like we're talking about that. So the first question I have for y'all is like, what did y'all think when, when I first like talked about the conference? What made you want to go? A good question. Don't everybody answer at once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I didn't really know that much about what it was about. So I was curious and um, I want mostly I actually just wanted to support you and honestly meet you in person because we hadn't met in person up until then. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the conference in addition to meeting both of you. So what about you, Jessica? I was so excited to get to hear from other people who had left communities that were similar. Um, I haven't really had a lot of opportunity for that, especially where I live. I still live in the same area that I grew up in. And so meeting other people was huge motivation for me. But I loved the topics they were going to talk about. Yeah. So what is one thing, one takeaway, like the first takeaway that you can think of that comes to mind when you went to the conference and you were there? What is the first takeaway? Because mm. I know there's multiple. <laughs> I know there are. But what's the first thing? I think the first thing was how similar a lot of our experiences were. Like the way that I grew up, I didn't realize that there were so many similarities and so many connecting points with other people from very different religious backgrounds. Um, that, that was amazing to me. I had no idea. And you, Lori? Um, I had never thought of the concept of um, freedom from religion. Um, like obviously it's been dr drilled in my head, freedom to practice your religion. And I believe people should have the right to practice their religious beliefs um, as long as they aren't infringing on anyone else's rights. And that's the part that um, that I found especially interesting. And I agree with Jess, like it was great to meet other people that like religions that we wouldn't, as I wouldn't assume had as many similarities. Um, so both of those things were the top things I took away from it. Can you tell me more about the concept of freedom from religion versus freedom of religion? Yeah, like um, freedom of religion is, you know, that you have the right to practice your religious beliefs. Um, freedom from religion is that your religious beliefs cannot infringe on the rights of others. So even like we, I know we talked, you know, I'm sure you'll talk about the education, but, you know, not educating kids properly um, is a way that I feel in the, that is um, an infringement of their rights to, and then, you know, I know you talk a lot of, too about human rights for everyone. And if people aren't able to, their personal rights are being infringed upon, then that's where someone's religious beliefs is infringing on someone else's rights 
or where they, in my opinion, when they pass laws that um, are based on a dominant religion, but it, uh, you know, their religious beliefs are infringing on someone else's rights to um, live their life. Yeah, live their life, their um, life with their rights that they are mm -hmm. that they have in this country as well. Inherent, um, their inherent human rights. So there's, I'd invite everybody to go um, um, read the list of human rights that there are, because every human has certain human rights that should be afforded to them. And there's a list of them online. You can Google it. You can find um, a list of human rights. So what you're saying is that there is a place where religions tend to sometimes make laws that infringe upon people's ability. That's what I'm hearing you say. Is yeah, that and it's, an, it's twofold. So in the religious community, um, we see it happening where they keep people from you know being able to live out their freedoms at, you know as a person by keeping them in a certain indoctrinating them or not allowing them to leave in certain manipulative ways but then outside of that too you see like <clears throat> when when people want laws to be passed that um only that keep other people from you know being able to live out their rights that's what I'm right Okay, gotcha. Well, so regardless, like that sounds really interesting that that came up. And then I'd like to also swing back to what Jessica said about the similarities. Like, what did you, did you find similarities in? Where did that come from? There were a lot of similarities in the lack of access to information. Um, I didn't realize that a lot of us, regardless of the religious background really weren't allowed to know certain details. Um, whether it was healthcare, whether it was early education, um, access to information was denied to a lot of us, regardless of our background, um, which I thought was really interesting and really telling. Do you think that information control affects you still today? 100%, yeah. How so? Oh, there's so many ways. So I'm an elementary teacher and there's so many things, even just the process of getting my job. Um, I struggled with the technology. I struggled with some of the paperwork that I have to do. Getting into college was a huge thing for me because I had no concept how to do it. Like basic math, basic English, stuff like that. I, I didn't have that. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm thankful for the support that people gave me to get there and to actually accomplish right. what I need to accomplish. So does it affect you in this way? Like when things like that happen, where it's like, it seems like this normal thing that people kind of already know and you feel like you're maybe a little bit behind or you're just not accustomed to that culture. Like mm -hmm. we does it affect you in a negative way sometimes where it kind of feels like, well, I'm just, I'm just ignorant or I'm naive or I just, I just don't know things. Yeah. How do you deal with that? It's kind of hard because it makes me feel sometimes like I need to explain to people 
<laughs> why I don't know. Why I don't know the Christmas movies and all of this stuff. I mean, right. Like, that's coming up, too. Like, I don't know the Christmas. The, like, I know some Christmas movies. But I don't know. I, I'm not going to. No. Just. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard to deal with. But I have to. I try to give myself grace. And I'm thankful to have people around me that do care about me. And do, you know, give me little hints here and there when I need it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, my friend always says, you're, you know, you can't use Amish for a refuse. She says this to me, okay? <laughs> she tells me this. <laughs> but I'm like, it's true. I don't know this because I was Amish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I have one, I have one friend that she will jump in when people start and, the, you know, they start asking the questions. She jumps in. She's like, uh-uh. Mm-mm. And she'll literally answer whatever question and we just move on. So, uh, oh, I have a friend who like literally jumps in and she says, I need you to go Google this and this and this and find out that information. Mm -hmm. And then you're allowed to talk to her. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so I'm just saying, but anyway, it's going back to the overlapping similarities. Um, one of the, one of the beautiful things that I found in the ex-religious communities is that for me, it, it's there's overlapping similarities and trying to flush out those overlapping similarities can help us kind of band together and, and make meaningful change for all of our communities collectively. And one of my big takeaways from the conference itself was how do we sit here and raise awareness and be activists and create change without burning ourselves out? That was my biggest takeaway. How do we do that? That and what is her name? Amanda Munch. I want to say it starts with an M. The one who wrote the book called Cultish and talked about the language, which yeah. is like... If anybody has heard me talk, <laughs> how often do I talk about language? <laughs> so important. Mm -hmm. It really is. And and so like her, um, I, I downloaded her book, by the way. Her book is great. I highly recommend it. It's called Cultish. And it's available on Amazon. I think Kindle, you can get it. Um, but anyways, like how do we, so when we talk about this, how do we create this meaningful change without burning ourselves out? Do you all have ideas about that? I mean, Lori's a therapist, so, you know, a licensed counselor to the rescue. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> on the spot. Oh, not like, not putting me on the spot. Um, I yeah. would never. <laughs> I like to look at self-care and I try and teach people that it's not the bubble baths and chocolate cake and massages. Those are great, of course. Um, and I certainly promote anything that relaxes you. But how I, I try and tell people it's anything that you want to look at it as depositing um, into an account. You can't take out of your account if you haven't put something in there. And so you sh it should be more of a proactive thing like and I use examples of like boring self-care that I do is like every weekend um, is when I have, well, first of all, I take some downtime just for me, like, you know, where I'm just lazy on the couch doing nothing. Um, but then, you know, I like 
food prep because my weeks are pretty long, long days and I know I'm not going to cook. So then I'm going to order out and then, you know, that creates financial stress and, you know, the food's not as good or whatever. Um, so like food prepping, do all my laundry, organize my house, things like that. But self-care can look so different. It may be saying no to something and yes to sleep or, you know, no to a family member or, you know, a person that stresses you out. Um, that type of thing. Um, I'd also like to add, like, you know, people like to think of, like, self-care as, like, being bubble baths and stuff like that. Um, but self-care is actually, in my opinion, is taking care of your mental health. So if a bubble bath does help you to right. take care of your mental health, it's still saying yes to that. But it's also saying no to things that don't serve you well. Mm-hmm. For example, like, I'm not going to sit here and, like case in point if somebody asks me for a conversation about one thing and I say yes to that conversation and then it turns out what it really is is a fishing expedition for more details about my trauma I'm gonna say no because you know why I don't have to relive that trauma for your benefit I'm not an object to be put on display for your benefit and your gratification because you are literally engrossed by trauma. You are like just fascinated by all of these aspects of my life and trauma. I don't have to expend that energy to relive that trauma for your benefit. Nobody does. And if you're a survivor and you're hearing this, if you're somebody who's experienced immense amounts of trauma, just know that you too are not an object to be put on display for somebody else's gratification because they're literally just fascinated and just want to know every single detail about your trauma. You don't know them anything. And you're allowed to say no. That to me is part of my self-care. I regularly have to tell people, no, I'm not in the space to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that can be one of the biggest things is talk about the things that you're okay speaking about. Things that you feel are the right things to speak about. Things that don't send you down that path of reliving trauma that cause like you to have further trauma now because now you're reliving this event now you go spiraling because typically and often trauma survivors when you question them like that and especially when it feels like a blindsided and misguided attempt to have a conversation with you where it's really they're just fascinated by the trauma Mm -hmm. and they're yeah i know there's a word that i'm thinking of it's like that that obsession that they have with trauma. What, what is that word, Lori? Do you know? Um, I can't think of it right now, but I know what you're talking about. Like, it's like a morbid curiosity. Is that what you mean? It's something like that. Yeah. They're just like, no. So that can be a form of self-care. Another thing for me, um, it can be really important that I take time away from um, sometimes social platforms because sometimes social platforms can be really toxic. So that can be important. 
sometimes I read books, which is a form of like disassociation, but disassociation is also a coping skill. So I'm just <laughs> telling y'all. <laughs> yes, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Another thing is, is I use humor and sarcasm as a coping skill. And I know that offends many people. I literally do not care because you know what? My sense of humor, my, my sarcasm, and my reading, and my drawing, and my creativity, those things kept me alive when I survived things that many people do not survive. And they still keep me alive today. So what are the things that make your heart jump for joy? What are the things that make your heart like feel like you're at peace, at one with the universe? That you are worthy of human rights. What are those things? Do those things. And sometimes you got to explore and find new things to that, that serve you well. You got to try new things. You got to be curious to try new things. Foster that sense of curiosity within yourself that you may not have had as a child, that you may not have had the opportunity to explore as a child. If you want to dye your hair as a form of self-care, okay, cool. That can be part of self-care. It can be, but just dyeing your hair isn't necessarily self-care. Correct, exactly. Yeah. There's a whole mental process that goes along with it. Yeah, so, another thing I encourage people to do if you're feeling, you know, like when you are feeling burnt out, if you've gotten to that point, because it happens to all of us, no matter how well we try and... Um, <laughs> <no> matter, <laughs> sorry. I can't even... <laughs> Had to comment. Had to. Thanks, Jacob, for hello that. troublemakers. Um, well, <laughs> we help meets and disobedient women. So I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <clears throat> but me, we gotta interject because we've been called troublemakers. That's a you know thing that I've been called repetitively and if it makes me a troublemaker to be doing what I'm doing I guess I'm a troublemaker bring it on that's a I'm willing to die on (laughs) (laughs) yes thank you um but I was just saying like if you have gotten to the point of burnout because I don't know who hasn't in this kind of work you will reach burnout at some point or another um it's just the reality of the work um scan like look pay attention. Like we are so often not taught, especially in religious communities to pay attention to our bodies and what our bodies need and want. And I really try and work on that to get, you know, get quiet within myself. Or if I'm feeling off, I'll literally just say, okay, what do I need? Do I need water? Do I need to take a shower? Do I need to lay in bed under a a weighted blanket? Am I cold? Am I hot? You know, like, do I need a friend? Do I need to cry? Have Um, I eaten today? Yeah. I never forget that one, but yeah, yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) I'm, I'm that one. I I have to ask myself if I've eaten today. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe have I had enough protein? Cause I'm one of those people I need, I have to have protein or I get hangry. Um, But yeah, what is it that I need? And, you know, learning to listen to your body is huge with self-care. And, and, and 
another thing is, is learning to, when you start listening to your body, that'll help you set appropriate boundaries, which allow you to practice good self-care. And when you set appropriate boundaries, that allows you to connect with people and do the work that you do without burnout. Yes. And it allows people to connect with you, but it still maintains regulations around what you're willing to do so that you can do what you do without being burned out all the time. Exactly. And listening to our bodies is a big one for me because sometimes when I do feel that burnout coming on or when I've just had a really rough week, I don't feel myself. Like I literally can like lose Mm -hmm. feeling Mm -hmm. my body and I have to actually take myself away from whatever situation and just let myself feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's been a really big one for me is just listening enough to actually feel what I need. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I'd like to also touch on is like as a neurodivergent person, um, one of the things that I personally found is that the more I work through the trauma in therapy and other ways, um, the more I I displayed like more um, neurodivergent coping skills. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about stimming. Let's talk about that. What is stimming? Do you know? There's so many different ways. <laughs> There's so many different ways to stim. Like I, as I, as I work through a lot of my trauma, I'm finding that I feel more okay letting people see me stim. Which, growing up, that wasn't a thing. Um, yeah, I, I fidget a lot. I move a lot. There's lots of different ways that people can stim, and everybody's different. Well, I mean. It's not like I'm sitting here stimming right now, is it? (laughs) I don't do that. Totally not just sitting here like. No, no. It's not like I didn't get in trouble in school, which I actually did. I got in trouble in school for like stimming with my pens. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's that's like a thing. It's like, you know, when when you're trying to be a um, trying to fit into a neurotypical world or a holistic world where everything is expected of you, you you are supposed to comply with societal demands to fit into this box. And so when people try to beat that out of you or people try to um, make you feel, they there's like this overwhelming feeling of wrongness for that. Mm-hmm. So I'm here to tell you that stimming is not wrong. Stimming is not wrong. It is simply a different way of being and it soothes us. It is one of the most effective forms of self-soothing that I have found for myself is stimming and allowing myself and giving myself permission to stim. So when your child is stimming and doing repetitive movements that you find annoying, I would ask you to say, is it really harming anybody? And if you cannot stand it, remove yourself from the situation Yes. (laughs) and allow your child to self-soothe by stimming rather than creating trauma for your child to later process in life. So I'd invite you to be more curious about what about the stimming process that actually helps your child versus sitting there and trying to beat it out of them or trying to um, 
teach them that it's not acceptable to act this way, like it's not acceptable to have like, I mean, I carry emotional support rocks with me. Y'all hear me joking about this because I do. They're, they're my emotional support rocks. Like they just, just holding them, the surface, it, it does something for me. Mm -hmm. I have a piece of fabric that I carry with me. Okay. Like maybe that makes me weird, but I'm just a human who is seeking sensory items that help me feel okay with the world or okay to be present here. So if you want me to be present, understand that I will probably be stimming in some form, shape, or way. Got anything, Lori? <laughs> you're, the, you're the counselor. Let's hear from Lori. What? <laughs> there, I can't say anything that you're going to said like that's 100 percent accurate um whatever it takes to make somebody feel um i use i often use the word grounded because i work with a lot of trauma and it's similar um not the same but similar mm -hmm. I would say. yeah that makes sense like i think that's that's another big thing is like even though i was at the conference and like as many of you know, yeah, I'm, I'm that person. So I carefully scheduled out my day to include breaks. Mm. Why? Why did I do that? What was that? I know. You can get way too overstimulated when there's so many people and so much going on and you just need to get away sometimes. Okay. I'm, I'm um, neurotypical and I still like... I'm introvert introverted so I get even though like I'm not yeah I still need this the space I don't necessarily leave but I'll check out um by like just zoning out from the conversation and the people usually like just looking at something on my phone or something like that will help me kind of zone out for a little bit if I can't I can't always get up and physically leave especially at that situation, um, in that situation. But um, if I can, I will do the same thing just because I need people breaks. Like sometimes people leave you alone if you put headphones and look at your phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, and I feel like that for me is a form of self-care. Yeah. Because oh. I know my body enough. I know myself enough to be able to say, okay, there's going to be approximately this amount of people there. I'm going to be speaking. This is like typically how I've responded in the past to this amount of stimulation, blah, 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 blah. So what can I do to allow me to still go to this event and participate in this event and speak at this event? What can I do that will allow me to go and connect and, and make connections that mean something to people to, and to myself? Right. So to me, that is a form of self-care is saying, like, I know myself well enough to know that I'm going to need these breaks. And historically, if I take this amount of breaks, that is the best amount of breaks. And I'm going to scatter it out throughout the day. And this is where I'm going to go. And this is what I'm going to do. Have you heard of the spoon theory? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking <laughs> the spoon theory. It's like... The concept that you wake up every day with 10 spoons, it's used a lot for people with disabilities, but I think it works for introverts. It works for people with mental health or any physical or mental health condition. Uh, but the concept is that you wake up every morning with 10 spoons and that it costs 
spoons to like do your daily activities, the more challenging, you know, mental health or physical health types of things you have, the more it takes spoons from you. So basically I do it without even thinking about it. It's like a budget almost like, like I know, like I typically don't plan things for after work during the week because I'm tired. My day takes a lot out of me as a therapist. Um, but if I do know that I have something in the evening, then I kind of budget my spoons differently. Like I may try and sleep in a little more. I may take a nap or lay down during my lunch instead of working on administrative things, but like things to kind of plan for it, kind of like that's what Mary did by like leaving the conference, taking little breaks to go outside. That's managing spoons. That's how you get more spoons. Um, sometimes you can get a spoon from a I call it phone a friend um, or like, like where, you know, if you need maybe talking to a friend gives you a spoon or like for me, I have a disability. So I order groceries and things like that, which helps me manage my spoons better, you know, asking help, which I don't like to do, but you know, things like that. So yeah, that's what I hear when, when I hear you saying that that's basically the spoon theory. Well, it, it is a spoon theory in effect, in effect, but it's also self-care because it's like, okay. it's that thing of like, you know, that's, that's actually self-care. Mm -hmm. Like, it could also involve me going back to the hotel and taking a bubble bath afterwards. It could. But I can't exactly <laughs> leave the conference and go take a bubble bath and come back. Probably not, not in the city like that. <laughs> or I can't leave the conference and go get my hair dyed and then come back. Like, I, I just don't think that that, that would be quite as effective. In right, so the, the self-care has to meet the, the situation is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Okay. So what else do y'all want to talk about about the conference? I wrote some things down, like some from the... Um, in the conference that I thought were interesting. Um, I liked where, I don't remember who said it, but they said we cannot reduce people to things we hate. Um, I thought that was a good quote. And religion divides, leaving joins us. I didn't know if y'all had any thoughts on those. I thought those were interesting quotes. Well, I think personally my opinion what i've experienced what i've seen is that when people um, belong to certain religious groups or you know specific religious groups that i've had interactions with a lot of times um, religion separates themselves from the world we are not of the world and so by doing so they're creating a divide in the idea that we are all humans and we all are worthy of basic human rights does that Makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then what was the other one? Um, religion. Which one were you commenting on? Religion divides. Religion divides. We cannot reduce people to things we hate. Yeah, that one too. Because when we start understanding, I, I feel like when we start understanding that dividing humanity is not actually effectively creating change. And part of that goes into another thing that I heard at the conference that really like put something into words that I didn't have words for. And that is that we cannot 
We cannot sit there and say, like, I won't sit there and say that all Amish people are bad. I don't say that. You don't hear me say that. Exactly. You know, the thing is, is that when you make divisive statements about a certain culture or community, you are separating them from yourself. You are saying they are less human. You are, you are like literally making it seem like you have more power and you, you're more worthy of like basic human rights at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So why are we dividing ourselves? Why are we not talking about the similarities, like whether somebody is Amish or not, like whether they comply with the church rules or not, doesn't mean that we're not still the same basic human beings at the end of the day who still need food, shelter, water. You know, we need um, connection, meaningful connection with other humans. We desire that. We deserve that. Who want to just live our lives and, you know, have a meaningful life. At the core, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like it objectifies people when we do that. Yep. Absolutely. And I also feel like when we come from a community or a culture like that, when we sit there and we condemn the entirety, when we demonize the entirety or we glorify the entirety of the culture, when we do that, we are actually doing that to the part of ourselves that was a part of that community at one point in time or another. So when we say those things about the communities that we were once a part of, is that how we talk to ourselves? Are we literally sitting there condemning ourselves for being part of that community at one point in time or another, even though we had no choice in that? Yeah. And didn't somebody say something about it being a part of us? I forget how what's how the um how it was said, but like accepting that part of us helps us as we move throughout our life. Mm-hmm. Um, like we can't hate we can't hate that part of us because it's a part of us. I'm probably really messing it up, but I. <laughs> we I, wasn't it something about we can't we can't completely divorce ourselves from the part of us that was um, part of that group. Mm-hmm. Yes, because to divorce ourselves from that is to deny ourselves authenticity in our actual life experiences. Yes. So, yeah. like for for example. Um, I learned creativity and and sewing and crocheting and, you know, those kinds of things. Like they were more acceptable ways to stem, right? Like crocheting mm-hmm. was a way to stem. Um, so those were more acceptable ways to stem. Those were the only, like, those were the ways that I was allowed to stem. So me divorcing if i divorce myself completely from amish culture and community and my amish upbringing i would take all of those things and throw them away as like not they're they're nothing and i would hate myself for enjoying those things or for finding solace and comfort and feeling grounded in those things exactly so what stories would i be telling myself in my head right so when we learn to have compassion for ourselves, we learn to have compassion for uh, compassion for our former communities. Mm-hmm. And empathy, for Pete's sake. Have mm-hmm. empathy for yourself, please. Yeah. Just please. 
try to have empathy for yourself. Try to be as kind as you can to yourself. Try to be gentle to yourself. You know, we, you're not. So let's just say that I have like a bad coffee drinking habit and I need to stop drinking coffee because, you know, I have <laughs> heart issues let's, or health issues, right? Let's, let's just say that. <laughs> Hypothetic. So if I sit here and I tell myself, well, you're just an idiot for drinking this coffee. You know better and you do it anyways. Like, am I really going to like stop drinking coffee? You just got to stop. Is that really going to make me stop? No. No. Oh, such a good topic, Lori. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just saying, y'all got anything else? I really like, I don't remember exactly who said it, but somebody was talking about how if we cut ourselves off from where we came from, it's like cutting off a part of our body. There it is. Oh, yes. She yeah. talked about reclaiming and kind of making it ours again in a different way. And mm -hmm. I really like that because there's so many things that I do. Like I, I love quilting. I love sewing. Um, I do art a lot. Like that's, that's one of the things I do for self-care. And it used to be where I'd look at it and be like, ooh, quilting? Mm. Yeah. But like, I've kind of started reclaiming that as my own thing and making it my own thing. And like, I, I love to make colorful quilts <laughs> and like making it a part of my life and my own self care. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That's amazing. I love it. So reclaim your heritage. That can be mm -hmm. one way. So I'm going to make a comment, like, just because, so people can know, reclaim your heritage. And not reclaim feeling it. shame about it. Not feeling like, oh, that was Mennonite me or something like that. But like, right. loving it. Because it, it is part of me. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I love the quilt, by the way. It's amazing. <laughs> As somebody who's made many quilts. It's amazing. It's almost done. I'm so close. You're so close. But yeah, like that, that in and of itself was a fascinating presentation. I also really enjoyed the, I spoke to the, the speaker that gave a talk about art, transforming your trauma into art, because some people really benefit from transforming trauma into art. And there's a little story I have about that, but that's going to be like coming out in my book that I'm writing. And um, I want to say that to me, overall, the conference itself was amazing because there were so many similarities, but also it's, it's connecting with people who are on parallel paths. It may not be exactly the same, but there are overlapping similarities the lack of the 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 education um what what was her name beatrice weber from yafed mm -hmm. that presentation really 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 just like struck struck a nerve in me because it seems that hasidic schools can be very similar to the way that amish schools are run and I could feel the pain. Like I, I just like there was so much. And so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that 
because I feel like it again goes back to what Jessica said about the information control and further, even when people escape, their children may still be attending those schools Mm -hmm. and it can cause so much distress as a parent to be watching your child. I can't imagine or fathom what these parents are experiencing as they watch their children go through these schools that they know because they have access to more information that these schools are not teaching their kids appropriately. Think about that. And the other thing that stuck out to me was the language. What did y'all think of that presentation? That was amazing. So like, was there... Go ahead. They were talking about how language creates reality and it kind of... I hadn't thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. To where people will use certain language just to manipulate the situation or the way that you perceive something. Um, Yeah. And I was thinking about it, like through the years, the different language that the church would use to talk about certain people. Um, And that kind of hit me, like the language that they use literally created the reality for these people. And for those of us that were younger and just watching, like the way that we perceived people was formed mm-hmm. by the language that they used about them. Mm-hmm. I wrote down us versus them language because, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's what is used a lot in religious communities. And I'm, I thought a lot <laughs> growing up, you know, like, because like, you know, like we always joke about the particular community we were a part of being the true one true church but that's what we're talking about with us versus them it's like we are we have it together or or, you know even the caste system and like looking down on someone else because they have a different well send that really ditch (laughs) like (laughs) pleats on the covering are different (laughs) (laughs) separate from the bodice what the what <laughs> or like they're using a doily instead of a proper head covering oh, no. or they drive a they drive a car instead of a, a a horse and buggy or oh my god the <laughs> elbows are showing oh elbows straight to jail straight to jail The, the point is, is that language such as this is divisive, which goes back to the us versus them mentality. It also enables people to sit there and do things like mass shootings where they kill people in mass and they feel justified in killing those people because they have been taught and brainwashed to believe that this is an appropriate action to take. Because they've managed to make us not people. That's why I talk about it taking away human rights. Because it takes away our humanity. And the sad part is, is you may think that I'm only specifically talking about LGBTQ people, but I'm not. People that escape religions are often stalked, harassed, and 
sometimes they are killed because of the fact that they speak up against the oppression that they experienced inside of the religious group. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't just apply to one community of marginalized people. It applies to apostates of many different religions. Yeah. Got anything else, Lori? No, I think that was like it. What about you, Jessica? Mm, there's so many good things from the conference, but... I did. I also like the last session about creativity and art because um, that's a huge coping skill for me. But I liked they said specifically creativity is the right to roam. And I thought about that because sometimes if I'm having a hard time, I'll do painting or I'll do drawing. I really enjoy drawing. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes just doing that takes me away from what I'm feeling and the situation. And I'm I'm somewhere else. And I enjoy that. I so, thought that was a really cool thing. So sometimes drawing allows you to disassociate. And for me, it's a little different because sometimes creativity gives me an outlet for whatever it is that I can't put into words. Because mm -hmm. for me, when as much as people may think I talk a lot, here there are literally periods where I cannot talk. Um when I become overstimulated, there are times where I literally cannot get words out. Um, there's a name for it. I can't remember what it's called. But when I use art, like when I make a painting, like that painting, for example, this painting. Mm. Okay. Let me tell you what this painting is about. This painting is about the way that I felt sitting in a courtroom watching them as they cried for the professed rapist for the confessed rapist watching them as they sat there and talked about his good Amish character that's what that painting is about and so it's fitting that it's cracked and it's fitting that it's dark and that it's there's, there's just no, like, expression for what that felt like. There are no good words for that. And when we experience traumatizing events like that, we have to find a way to let it out. Otherwise, it will eat us up. And it will come out in ways that we don't want it to come out. And we won't have any choice in how it comes out. So I encourage you to be curious, to try different things and different ways of, of expressing yourself or finding some way to cope. Because different things, different strokes work for different folks. And when you find the things that work for you, you are able to live your life in a much more meaningful way. And you deserve that. But I also think it's interesting that Jessica is talking about it allows her to disassociate. And for me, it's like, you, 
You see the difference in how we use it? Like we're still using the same tool, but it's a different tool. Yeah. That's awesome. That just shows how like diverse people are and what works for one person doesn't work for someone else or it serves a different purpose. Right. And that's part of what is so incredibly difficult is like we can't tell you what the right thing is or the right way for you to cope or for you to practice good self-care or for you to be doing activism work or for you know what's the right way for you I don't know but you know what you can figure that out right because your body probably does know Ta-da! <laughs> we have a winner right yeah like your body does know we just are socialized not to listen to it and we need to get back in touch with it. Okay. And I like to recommend, even though I don't love doing it myself. Um, <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> okay, not as I do. Um, yes, yoga or, and or meditation. Um, if you hate meditation, you might like yoga better. Um, a lot of people have trouble getting their thoughts and I'm myself. It, it, yeah. Like I agree. Like I have a hard time with meditation. Sometimes if I will just listen to like a guided meditation and I've heard one that helped me understand, like, it's okay. If you're, it's called monkey mind. When your mind wanders away, just don't judge that it's doing that and bring it back. But, um, yoga, some people have better success with yoga, but anything like that gets you back in your body and helps you be in more. Or you could try, um, what's it called? Body scanning. All I'm, kinds of things. There's all kinds I, of tools. Also, also, I just want to say this, okay? Like, let's talk about this for a minute. Like, when, when you say yoga, there's many people that then fall into yoga cults, okay? <laughs> so be careful what kind of yoga you engage in. Be careful. But also yoga like, is not of the devil, like, like we were taught to do. Right. It's not of the devil. It's not, you don't have a, you're not demon possessed just because you do yoga or you lead a yoga class. Yeah. But there's tons of like easy yoga you can do online or there's, you know, places you can go. Yeah. yeah. Just easy. depends on what serves you, right? Like what makes you feel better. In the same token, be very careful you don't fall into abusive yoga cults or these new age cults that basically, um, you know, they, well, here's a fun one. Let me, let me, let me go there because you said it. And we were talking about language and education and all this information. Have you ever heard of the belief that people choose who they're going to be born to and what experience they're going to have in this life. So like there's people that have literally told me that I chose to be born to my Amish families and I chose this life. I chose to have this oppression in this oh. life. Have you ever heard of that? Before I, I was even born, I chose this. Uh-uh. That is... Uh-uh. No. No. I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> no, I mean, just be aware. There's a lot of cultish groups out there, as Amanda says. Yes. <laughs> pretty much anything that can be good can be turned into a cult, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. 
I would um, be inclined to agree with that. And that's where I always caution people to listen to their bodies and to um, not even just listen to your bodies, but also pay attention to how you're feeling, paying attention to how you're feeling. If you have like a thing, like you notice that, like for me, I, I get an, when I meet somebody, sometimes I'll get an upset stomach and I can't pinpoint why. And then later I find out that this person is a rapist mm-hmm. and I'm like, what, why? So when you get that feeling, if you get like the, the hair on the back of your neck, the, this is your brain saying from all of the experiences that you have had, this, this person is dangerous. Listen to that. Listen to your intuition. Listen to it. Pay attention to your body. If you get like the hair raising up on the back of your neck or you just feel sick or you just feel like something isn't right. Or like one of my experiences too is somebody tells me, well, I just want you to come to this event because I feel like it would be good to be seen with you. Mm. I am telling you, my skin crawled. Like there's no other way to describe it. So what do I do? I don't talk to that person no more. Why? That's the red flag. Because my body says that's not good for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to honor that. And when we honor that, we are actually validating ourselves. We are building a practice of validating ourselves and helping ourselves live our lives in a meaningful way. Yeah. Oh, one of our commenters says, I have heard that idea and it is destructive. I couldn't agree more. I think he's referring mm-hmm. to the, we chose this. Yeah, that, that that makes no sense. There's no evidence that would even begin to suggest that. Absolutely uh, not. So if you have evidence that actually proves that, please comment on this video or on this <laughs> podcast. Please comment on on here and tell us where the scientific evidence is and I want peer-reviewed research by the way I don't want your mom's no is that true I think most of us would have chosen something better Mm -hmm. I just no I did not choose this none of us chose this no the idea that we chose this is literally the idea that we chose to be horrifically treated it is the idea that we are the ones ultimately responsible for our own oppression for our torture for our abuse for our no and what is that what do we call that in other words victim blaming victim blaming (laughs) oh yes yeah we went there yeah well yeah i was gonna bring that up right away (laughs) that's that's what that is But that was the other beautiful thing is like there wasn't this gaslighty atmosphere or this victim blaming atmosphere present at this conference. And that really helped me navigate the conference better. And then the other thing is, is like just being able to meet other people like me who are maybe not from the same community, but from different communities and who have similar stories. Like it was, it was amazing. Yeah. I felt like they saw us. In a way that a lot of people don't. Yeah. I felt heard. I felt seen. I felt welcomed. Mm-hmm. 
and I think the the interesting thing for me is how so many people shared their own experiences with education inside of their community after I spoke. That was very interesting to me. Um, I felt like it it kind of hum- it it helped all of us like come together and understand the overlapping issues of what does the deprivation of education actually do? Yes. <laughs> In each of our collective communities, what are the long-term effects? What are the ramifications of not providing our children with appropriate and proper education? Because those children grow up into adults and then you have people like, you know, the people who run blistering soap for for. And if you don't know what that is, what rhymes with blistering soap? <laughs> Getting on a witness stand. This this man got on a witness stand. It is on court record. This man gets on a witness stand and they ask him what training he had. And he said he was ordained by lot. He had an eighth grade Amish education. He was ordained by lot. And so now he's qualified to perform sex offender rehabilitation. Oh, that's what happens. That's one of the long-term effects. Absolutely not. Nope. So Mm -hmm. we have to do better collectively. As Americans, our children deserve better. As humans, our children deserve better. But with that being said, we're at our time. Do y'all have any parting statements? No, I always get in trouble with mine. <laughs> Why do you get in trouble? Come on, Lori. <laughs> I'm not guilting you into it, but you know. All right, Jessica. Lori's not it speaking. Was, it was so good to be at the conference. And just sharing so much in common with so many people was amazing. Um, and it was good to be here today. Well, thank you, Jessica. Good times. Good times. <laughs> well, I, I want to give a special shout out to all of our Patreon subscribers who brought this video to us today, who continue supporting the Misfit Amish and the activism work that we do and the educational work that we do and the research that we do. I really appreciate your support and I'm grateful to be here to do this. Thank you, um, Jessica for coming on and sharing and having this conversation. I think it's really good to talk about the things that you brought up. And thank you, Lori, for bringing your expertise as a licensed professional counselor. It means a lot to me that you're willing to come and have these discussions. And I really want to thank you all for for showing up in DC with me. Uh, That was amazing just to get to meet you guys and and actually know you in person versus only talking to you on like social media or via video chat or stuff like that. That was amazing. Um, the Dutch Blitz, I'll never forget that. <laughs> Teaching Jess to play Dutch Blitz. <laughs> That's reclaiming our heritage, okay? We're, we're corrupting Jess. Okay, but regardless, um, another thing is is that when we went to this conference, you know, 
meeting other people and making meaningful connections with other people, if we can really work together collectively, um, we can really make meaningful change. And I have to believe that in order to keep on going sometimes, like, what do you hold on to? What kind of hope is it that you're working towards? And for me, I'm always working towards a better future for the children in this world to, today. That's, that's what I'm working for. Mm-hmm. And if you're somebody that has been listening, thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate your support too. And I am not planning on scheduling any more lives this year, but I might. I just don't know for sure. But I'm really busy with working on research and other things. So I may or may not have another live this year. We might not be back until next year in January. However, with that being said, I hope all of you are safe. Please um, go out and, you know, go forth and live a meaningful life to the best of your ability and um, know that you are worthy and you deserve all the good things in life. You deserve love and you deserve compassion and empathy and joy.